listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. You know, I was thinking watching that video of B-Rad jumping from the bridge. Now, the only way that he could conquer his fear was that he had that cord attached to him. He was secure by that rope. And I really felt God say that the only way we're going to overcome whatever you are facing this morning is to that knowledge that He's got you. That you are connected to Him and He is not going to let you go. Come on, there's some, someone here this morning and you need to hear. I really felt, as Rob was even saying this morning, I really feel there's some of us here and we're in a place where we're weary. Our soul is weary. And you know, He is the one that wants to meet us in that place. He is the one that wants to give us rest. He is the one that says, cast all your cares, all your burdens upon Him. Why? Because He loves you. And He's the God that so wants to meet us exactly where we're at this morning. And I'm excited to get to share this morning. And I really felt God uh, just speak to me about talking about the Good Shepherd, about how He is the Good Shepherd, the Shepherd of our souls. And it says in John, uh, Jesus went over it again. He's speaking to Pharisees, speaking to his disciples. And he says, I speak to you eternal truth. I am the gate for the flock. All those who broke in before me are thieves who came to steal, but the sheep never listened to them. I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life freedom and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. But the worker who serves only for wages is not a real shepherd because he has no heart for the sheep. He will run away and abandon them when the wolf comes. But when the wolf mauls the sheep, drags them off and scatters them. I alone am the good shepherd. I know those whose hearts are mine and they recognize me and know me. Just as my father knows my heart, I know my father's heart. I am ready to give my life for the sheep. Come on, aren't you grateful that we have a good shepherd? Come on, aren't you grateful? That we have a shepherd of our souls, that one that looks out for us, that when things try and attack, things try and take us out, we have a God that's greater. We have a God who is uh, full of authority, that has the authority of heaven behind him, the one that created the heavens and the earth, and he's with us. Aren't you so grateful that we have that good shepherd, that we are not on our own? You know, we, we hear those words, good shepherd, And I think our dilemma, our conflict sometimes is that we don't really realize how good he truly is. You know, our definition of how good God is, we haven't even begun to scrape the surface of it. Now, when we, Craig and I were 18, we met at a Christian hostel and we were just best friends for the year that we met. And then he sold me this uh, trip to America to go snowboarding with him for three months. And I wanted to do whatever possible to hang out with him as well. So 
we went to the States for three months and went snowboarding over at um, the Rocky Mountains, this incredible resort. And he worked as a snowboard instructor. I worked as the bagel girl at the base of the mountain. It was good times. And I had, I had grown up uh, going with my family to the mountain skiing in, in New Zealand, Wakapapa. I won't say the Māori way of saying it because it will upset a lot of people here this morning. Waka Papa. But, but we, went, uh, we would go there as a family in New Zealand and uh, I used to love it. So I was so excited about going to the States. And when we arrived in the States, I still remember the first time seeing the snow there and just being amazed at the quality of the snow. It was dry, it was fluffy, it wasn't icy, it was absolutely perfect. It was just like the movies, trees everywhere with snow all around them, fairy lights, timber cabins. The mountain was so big, it took us a full three months to fully explore it all. Powder so deep, you'd often be up in your knees in powder. You'd snowboard trees, it was just magical, it was perfect, it was so good. And then I remember coming back to New Zealand after those three months. And going to the mountain there, and I still remember Craig and I just standing at the base of the mountain. I was crying at how dismal it was. Ice was everywhere. It was freezing cold. People were so pumped about the conditions. We're like, this is nothing like the States. And I stood there in disbelief thinking, how did I used to think that this was good? How did I used to think that this was of the highest standard? You know, our definition of good is based on what we have previously experienced. Before coming to Melbourne, I used to think that I made a good pastor. But when we moved here, I discovered that Domio's is not a good way of doing a pastor. I've been told that it's a way of prostituting pasta. That's what I have been told. I discovered that going to Domino's for pizza is not what you do. It is not the go-to for pizza. What I thought was good is not good at all. Before we moved here, I thought the best sport in the world was rugby union. I'm being honest. But when we moved here, I discovered there's many more sports than rugby union. It's not just the sole good sport. It's a good sport, but it's not the only good sport. When we moved here, I discovered what I thought was good shopping-wise. There's a whole other level of goodness. You know, it's the same when we come to this whole concept of how good God is. We base our knowledge of how good He is based on our previous experience. And our previous experience can be made up of maybe what we have experienced in church before, what other people have said about God, our own limited experience, human experience of who God is. But I really have this sense this morning that God wants to take us into this whole new concept, whole new definition of what He truly is, who He truly is, what He is in being the Good Shepherd. 
a new definition of His goodness. And I want us, as we start this morning, just to let go of all other definitions of what we think is good, to really experience Him. See, Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And sometimes we need to let our own human understanding, our own human limitations, put them to the side and experience Him for who He truly is. Because He is the epitome of good. He is the essence of what good is. Come on, I love what it says in Luke 18, verse 19, when the rich young ruler says to Jesus, what is good? And he says, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. He is the essence of what goodness is. Come on, and then further down when Jesus speaks in the temple for the first time in Matthew 13, and everyone says he made a real hit impressing everyone. And they said, we had no idea he was this good. We had no idea. And I really feel like God wants to say that to, the, to us this morning. We have no idea how good He really is. We have no idea our concept, our definition of what good is. We have no idea. Come on, let's open ourselves to more of His goodness. Let's discover who He truly is. Let's let Him go there in terms of what it means for Him to be good in our lives. See, it says, going further on in that passage in John 10, it says, The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen rather than going through the gate rooms reveals himself as the thief coming to steal. But the true shepherd walks right up to the gate. And because the gatekeeper knows who he is, he opens the gate to let him in. The sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd for he calls his own by name. He leads them out for they belong to him. But when he has brought out all his sheep, he walks ahead of them and they will follow him for they are familiar with his voice. We need to hear that familiar with his voice. They will run away from strangers and never follow them because they know it's the voice of a stranger. Isn't that fascinating? Come on, we'll follow him when we know his voice. How much do we know his voice? Because sometimes I think sometimes the challenge is for us that we know the voice of the enemy. We know our own voice far more than we know his voice. And we only follow the Good Shepherd when we're familiar with His voice. Are we familiar, truly familiar with His voice? Because a lot of the voices we listen to, come on, God would say, come on, they're the voice of a stranger. They're not my voice. Come on, everything about my voice is good. It's, it's worthy of you, who you are. It's worthy of who I created you to be. It's the essence of what good is. It's victorious. It's overcoming. It's valuing you. Come on, what voice are we choosing to tune into? Because his voice, the voice of the good shepherd, is the one that he wants us to listen to above all else. So really quickly, what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd, he satisfies our soul. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me to green pastures beside still waters. When yesterday in the beautiful weather that we had, we were downtown and all we saw was people wanting to hang by the water and hang out on grass. Why? Because it's peaceful. There's rest there. God wants to do that for us. He wants us to enter into wide, spacious places. When I grew up on a farm and I remember releasing the cattle to pasture and they would frolic into pasture. So happy, 
so joyful, so satisfied. And that's what Jesus, he describes himself as the gate. Come on, we enter into freedom, satisfaction, joy, because he is our gate to those things. And our soul finds rest. Come on, further on in that psalm, it says, he refreshes my soul. Jesus also described as the water where we will not thirst again if we drink from him. He's described as the bread of life. Come on, bread is so satisfying that when you go out to a restaurant, you can't fill up on the entree of bread too much because it's going to fill you so much you can't eat the main meal. There's something so satisfying about bread. He describes himself as the bread of life. And that was before we genetically modified bread so that it caused gut ache as well. You know what? We can try and modify what will bring us satisfaction. We can try and modify that through relationships, things that will give us self-pleasure. Come on, I'm tired. I need to go away on holiday. Do you really need that? Or do you need the shepherd of your soul to restore with his presence? Come on, I've been on this journey lately of, where I've just been in this place where I know my soul has needed to be restored again. And he has so met me there in his presence. Come on, there's nothing like his presence. His presence to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring freedom. Come on, so much of what we chase isn't actually gonna give us what we think it will give us. It's his presence that takes away the burden takes away the worry, it takes away the fear. Come on, because when we're in his presence, we get the perspective of who's really fighting for us, of who we have on our side. The second thing is the shepherd can be trusted to lead us. I think one of the greatest questions in this world today is who can I trust? There is so much information that's out there, so many things people tell us. Greatest question, who can we trust? And we answer that question. But who loves us the most? We trust based on love. Because when someone loves us, we know they only have good intentions for us, that we can trust them. And Jesus answers this question again in that passage. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep because I love them. We can trust him because he laid down his life for us. He can be trusted. Come on, we can trust him to lead us, to guide us. Come on, how much are we letting go of our control and allowing him to truly lead us? How much is he actually the shepherd of our souls? Or are we just on our own pathway trying to make it on our own? I love what it says, continuing down in Psalm 23 again. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When even when we're walking through a dark space, we can't see what's in front of us. We can't see what's around us. His rod and the staff, they guide us. He leads us. He comforts us. Come on, a shepherd's staff was used to guide sheep. It was used to fight off predators. It was used to divide the sheep's fur to check if any disease, how the skin condition was going. It was used to protect, to nurture the sheep. And that's what our God does for us. 
He leads us, He guides us, He protects us. Come on, are we coming under the shelter of His wings? Or are we just doing life on our own? I love that about our God. See, we were created to live trusting, not independent in our own control. In Psalm 22, verse 9 to 8, it says, You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. From the beginning of the time, we were created to trust. I see it with our little four-month-old Ezekiel. All he can do is cry. That's all he's got. And the rest he has to trust that I'll provide for his needs. We came into the world trusting. And people have let us down and they've broken that trust. And it can cause walls up to go, walls to go up when it comes to our relationship with God as well. But he's good. He laid down his life for you. And because of that, he can be trusted. He can be trusted to lead you into what is good, to lead you into wide open spaces. Again, Psalm 20, verse eight, uh, verse six to seven says, now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Come on, there is nothing else worth trusting in this life apart from Him. Come on, He is greater. Come on, the Israelites missed out on the promised land because they said, look at the giants in the land, rather than focusing on the God that had just divided the Red Sea for them. Come on, where is our focus? Is our focus on who He is or what the problem is around us? Come on, we've got to lift our focus. And to help bring this to life today, I'm going to ask Sarah Bates just to come up. And I'm just going to ask Sarah a few questions. Why don't we give Sarah a hand as she comes? Sarah is an amazing part of our church. How long have you guys been here for now, Sarah? Um, I was pregnant with Harrison, so probably close to three years now. <laughs> yeah, three years part yeah. of life. And I thought it would just be great just to take some time this morning to ask you a bit about your journey, especially as we are focusing around overcoming and the fact that he is our good shepherd, he leads us into good things. And so just to start with, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day world looks like? Fantastic. So I grew up in a um, predominantly Christian home, Pentecostal, mostly to my mother. Um, There was a family of eight, so six children, my mum and dad. My dad had a very rough upbringing. He was nicknamed a swear word growing up. That's how much his family really loved and appreciated having five children of their own. He had a very rough, very violent, very just disgusting upbringing. You couldn't think of it. And so growing up, we had a very, very interesting upbringing ourselves with a balance of my dad trying to figure out how to do this whole thing and my mum, full-on Christian, full-on God. You pray every situation. (laughs) And my dad was so busy chasing the money. He wanted so badly to be a millionaire. He would do it at all costs. He would ruin friendships, ruin family. And he was just out for this one thing. He thought it would buy him happiness. It would buy him his ticket out of, you know, his misery. (laughs) things that he had not dealt with. Um, And I was pulled in and out of schools my whole life, private schooling, public schooling, homeschooling, back to private, all depending on my dad's financial situation at the time. Um, It was very normal for me, and to this day I kind of thrive on change. (laughs) We had a cupboard underneath our staircase full of tinned food. We were told that when the big earthquake earthquake came to New Zealand, we were well prepared. But in fact, when my dad was doing really well, well in business, we'd be going out to restaurants, 
for weeks on end with parties of up to 20 people with him paying for everybody. And then on times where he was doing really poorly, we would be eating tinned food for weeks on end, if not months on end. <laughs> it was just, you know, one extreme to the other, no consistency. Um, Dad and my relationship was overall really good, but when it was bad, it was terrible. I had a situation when I was 14 years old, he told me to back his ute up, to the, up the driveway because he was renovating the bathroom. So I jumped in, I accidentally hit the accelerator and this ute just rammed straight through the corner of the house. Um, I got out the ute absolutely shaking. My mum came out just screaming, just run for your life, Sarah. And he was out that house before she could even like, you know, move aside with his crowbar in tow, just yelling profanities. I ran as fast as I could down the street and he actually gave up the chase, got in his car, roared off for the night. And I came home and mum said, Sarah, now that you're 14 years old, I can't cover you by the blood of Jesus every second of my day. You've got authority over these situations. You get on your knees and you pray. You thank your Jesus. You thank your God for your protection, for his love that will cover all situations that you've got no control of. So I, I started speaking. I, I spoke in tongues at the age of five. God gave me the gift and I was so thankful. It got me through many situations that I could not have got through at such a young age. And I started proclaiming that, thank you, Father God, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And he came home that evening and he was so calm and he said, I had to get out. I just wanted to kill you. He said, I've only ever had the thirst to kill people and really bad business deals. But he said, I've never wanted to physically hurt one of my own. So I just praise God for his protection. And the other, the other incident, which I really want to share, which is on my heart, I was 19 years old. My dad had set a 10 o'clock curfew for various reasons. And I looked at my phone and I was like, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I've, I've got to be home. And my friends were like, oh, you're 19. Like, why are you living, you know, by his rules? And I'm like, it's his rules, you don't understand, I've got to go. I pulled up that driveway and in a flash, my dad was at that car door ripping me out and I was running up the drive, he was swiping at me and he was like, how dare you, you know, misuse and not, not live under my roof and make me look like a fool. And before I knew it, he'd had me by the scruff of the neck and he'd pinned me against the house. I could feel myself getting very lightheaded. I thought, oh my goodness, this is it. I honestly thought my life flashed before my eyes. He let go and I scampered up the staircase in a flash. That very night, I was 19. He came and sat by sides me in the bed. It took me a long time to let him into my bedroom. I pushed the door against my bed, uh, the bed against the door. <laughs> Samson. Um, and he, he knelt down beside me and he said to me, he just started sobbing. I'd never seen my dad sob or even cry in all my life. He said two things. He said, I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. He'd never apologised for anything in his entire life. He was never wrong. And he said the words, I love you. I'd never heard my dad say to me that he loved me or anyone for that matter. And it was just such a night of breakthrough. And it was a very messy night. We were up for about four or five hours with him just sobbing and talking nonstop. And I went to bed, and mum came to me the very next morning, and she said, Sarah, if you choose to lay a complaint against dad, he is on his last warning. He will be sent to prison if, you know, you lay a complaint. And I said, mum, I chose forgiveness. I said to him last night, I forgive you, dad. I, I, I don't understand what goes through your mind, but I choose forgiveness. And she's like, oh, my goodness. She, didn't, she honestly thought I would go. She's like, you just need to think about this. And I was like, mum, there's nothing to think about. <laughs> oh, it's forgiven. God's forgiven me and I forgive. Amazing. So obviously like your your background with your dad is very full on and yep. continues to be. I know <laughs> yes. there's um, yes. been a situation with your mum too where he's ended up leaving yes. your mum 
and being with another woman. That's so right. there's a lot of anger and hurt with him. That's right. And how, how have you overcome that, Sarah? What have been some keys for you in, in overcoming that? Yeah, so um, by the time I turned 27, my dad came to my wedding. He said he wouldn't. But he was in a, having a very open affair with his 21-year-old office girl, which for us it was just so baffling that he's dating someone younger than his own children. And it was just so confusing. Um, certainly endurance, not losing heart. I kept praising God for his goodness amongst all the stuff that just went on. And um, in, what is it, in James, he, considers, he tells us to consider it pure joy when you encounter um, trials that test our faith. And it's a bit of a hard one to get your head around, but in the midst of your pain, if we press on, praying, standing on God's word, believing his promises, he will see his goodness bring us to a much better place than we could ever dream. Yeah. And so with your dad, you've been on a journey of, Forgiving him. Do you yes. want to tell us a little bit about that? Just absolutely. A few so, um, two years ago, Pastor Craig spoke on honouring your parents, and I felt like that he just kept saying it over and over, and I just thought, Craig, we get it. <laughs> so much so, I emailed him the following day because it was so heavy on my heart, and he came back with a wonderful email. Um, and for two years, my mind was a huge unrest about this whole: How on earth do I honour somebody like my dad? You know, and it was the night before Father's Day this year. And the Holy Spirit clearly prompted me to honour my dad and I thought it was impossible. I only had a contact phone number and we were friends on Facebook. God said, Sarah, I've given you the gift of writing and encouraging people. So I thought, well, let's just get on Facebook and encourage my dad. And I didn't have anything from current years to draw on. So just very quickly, I just wrote, Dad, now that I'm a parent too, I can really appreciate all the sacrifices you made in raising me. You worked so hard to provide so much. I love growing up in a big family, being surrounded by so many people, so much happening. You excelled in including everybody, and it made me feel like a very close family unit. I love that you fixed any and everything as if you knew what you were doing, even if you didn't. I loved your snappy decision-making. I love that you were generous to a fault I never lacked or wanted, and so many others experienced your generous spirit. I love that you were black and white and I knew exactly where I stood with you. But more importantly, I love that you provided so much adventure and encouraged me to live life big and love life to the fullest, even when it was hardest. You've taught me what it was like to work hard, rolling up your sleeves and getting on with a job. Um, thanks for all that you've done in raising me the best way you knew how. You did so well, Dad. I honour you and I thank you. My childhood and life living under your roof were certainly always action-packed and never dull. Some of life's fondest memories are our family days. We're far from a functional family, but there's no other family I'd belong to, love to belong to and no other dad that I'd love to have as mine. Happy Father's Day. And I wrote that and felt such freedom in that moment. And I, I rung my dad the next day after church and I said, before I could say anything, he was like, Sarah, you just have got no idea how powerful that was to read. Um, I am in my most darkest of places. I'm so lonely, I'm abandoned, I'm depressed. Um, I don't know what's become of my life. He said he wanted to take his own life, but he stopped and opened up Facebook. Why, I don't know, and read my message. I was so speechless. Yeah. So I just want to thank God that, you know, being led by the Holy Spirit and honouring my dad after a two-year process um, wasn't easy, but I'm so glad that I acted on that little prompt and not just went to bed like I wanted to. Amazing. Why don't we honour Sarah? Thank you, Sarah. Amazing.
What an amazing testimony of, and the team can come and join me. What an amazing testimony of what God can do in the middle of what we think is so hopeless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.